of four in a series on the Old Testament book of Jonah. If you're new with us today, you'll find a sermon note sheet inside of your bulletin. Last week in chapter one, we saw the prophet Jonah on the run from God. And the reason that Jonah's on the run is the reason why so many of us at times in our life find ourselves on the run from God. He didn't like what God had to say to him. How many have found sometimes as a Christian, you don't like what God has to say to you, right? He doesn't want to do what God told him to do. And what God had told him to do is God says, Jonah, I want you to go to the great city of Nineveh, and I want you to offer them a message of grace, that I want to save them from their sin. Now, you would think that Jonah would be very happy about that, because what is he? He's a prophet, right? This is a big part of his job. It's to, to go preach the word of God and to call people to repentance and, and for them to get into right relationship with God. You would think Jonah would be excited, but Jonah doesn't want to go. You see, the people of Nineveh are Israel's greatest enemy at this time in history. So understand, he doesn't want to see them one day in heaven. He wants them to burn in hell for all of eternity. That's Jonah's mindset. And so Jonah rebels by running in the very opposite direction. And one of the things we talked about last week was this. Anytime we say no to God in any area of our life, it's always to move us in the opposite direction of him and his will for our life. Anytime we say no. That's Jonah. And his plan is to run as far away as possible. Remember the map I brought with me last week? Tarshish is about as far away as you could possibly get from Nineveh. In fact, it's the, it's the end of the known world at this time in history. That's where Jonah plans on running to. So understand, he would rather be 2,500 miles outside the will of God than 550 miles inside the will of God. And I want to remind you of something that we saw last week. Jonah chapter 1, verse 3, we're told that after God told him, hey, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach we read this in verse 3, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. You see that? Yes. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away. And here it is for the second time, from the presence of the Lord. If you go down to verse 10 in chapter 1, we read this. For the men knew that he was fleeing, talking about the sailors, from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Three times in chapter one, we're told that Jonah in his rebellion was trying to run away as far as he possibly could from the presence of the Lord. But here's Jonah's big mistake in this. Jonah thinks because he doesn't want to have anything to do with God, that God doesn't want to have anything to do with him. God, because of his great love for Jonah, is actually at work to chase him down. Jonah wants to get away from God, but God doesn't want to let Jonah get away from him. And so God, in his loving kindness, sends a storm not to pay Jonah back, but to bring him back. That's right. It was God who caused the lot, if you remember, when they cast lots to fall on Jonah. <coughs> it was God who caused that. Once again, what that was, it was the loving kindness of God at work. It was God who had Jonah thrown overboard, and it was God who sent a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Look at it in verse 17, and we see it very plainly told to us. Watch this. And the Lord what? Appointed. See that? The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three 
nights. And I'm going to say it to you once again, not to pay him back, but to bring him back. To bring Jonah back to himself and his perfect plan and will for Jonah's life. I want, so, so here's what I want to, you to wrap your mind around. I want you to think about all the things the Lord appointed in Jonah's life this way. The storm was the kindness of God in Jonah's life. The lot that fell on Jonah was the kindness of God in Jonah's life. The great fish that he spent three nights and three days in was actually the kindness of God at work in his life. Now, I'm going to tell you something that's going to kind of blow your mind that we don't often think about, and it's this. Did you know that pain in your life can sometimes be the kindness of God at work? You say, Pastor, did I really just hear you right? Yes, you did. You see, God will leverage pain in our lives to change us and to transform us, to mature us, to get our attention, and in the case of Jonah, to turn us around, to get back where God wants us to be. God will use pain to draw us us closer to himself. And, you know, just as a loving parent will discipline their child by introducing pain In an effort to change behavior, so does a loving God. So get this, whether it's pain that you have caused or pain that others have caused you in your life, often God will leverage that pain for his sovereign purposes and for your good. I want you to think about the sailors, the mariners on the boat with Jonah. Listen, that storm was not because of their rebellion. It was because of Jonah's rebellion. Nonetheless, what did God do? He used the pain that Jonah had caused in these sailors' life to bring them to salvation. Isn't that what we saw in chapter 1? Those sailors went from calling out on their, to their pagan gods to putting their trust in Jonah's God. They got saved. And I've, I've seen this pattern in my own life that there are times when people have done things in my life that were close to me. And when people run in rebellion that are close to you, they kind of affect everybody around them. And there have been things that were not my fault that brought a lot of pain into my life that I have learned that God leveraged to deal with things in my life. How many know, how many can say that's my story? In fact, this is how some of you came to know Christ in the first place. There was a lot of pain that were brought about by a lot of people, but God said, I'm not going to let that pain go to waste. I'm going to take that pain, and I'm going to leverage it for my sovereign purposes and my good in their life. Now, in the case of Jonah, his pain is a direct result of his rebellion. He brought it on himself. In fact, that's what, always, that's what rebellion always does, doesn't it? It always takes us down. It never leads anywhere good. Think about Jonah's story. In his rebellion, he went down to Joppa. He went down into the boat. He went down into the sea, and then he went down into the fish. Down, 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 and further down. That's a vivid reminder that running for God, from God never leads anywhere good. It only leads you down. So here's Jonah now because of his rebellion inside the belly of a great fish. Yet God, because of his love for Jonah, has not abandoned him. That's why he sent the great fish to swallow up Jonah. It was his kindness at work in Jonah's life. Sometimes kindness doesn't always look like we thought it would look. Listen to what one commentator imagines what this must have been like for Jonah inside that fish. Let me go ahead and read what he writes. He says, pitched black, sloshing gastric juices washing over him, burning the skin, the eyes, the throat, the nostrils, 
the oxygen is scarce, and each frantic gulp of air is saturated with salt water. The rancid smell of digested food causes you to throw up repeatedly until you have dry heaves, nothing but dry heaves left. Everything you touch has the slimy feel of the mucous membrane that lines the stomach. You feel claustrophobic. With every turn and dive of the great fish, you slip in a cesspool of digestive fluid. There are no footholds, no blankets to keep you warm from the clammy depths of the sea. For three days and three nights, you endure this harsh womb of God's grace. End quote. God's plan is that the pain of this fish would lead Jonah to repentance. And that shouldn't surprise you because what does Romans chapter 2 verse 4 tell us? It tells us that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. And that's exactly where the great fish leads Jonah to in chapter 2, repentance. And his repentance leads to his salvation in the Lord. So what we have in chapter 2 is Jonah's prayer of repentance. And so think about it this way. In chapter run, one, Jonah's running from God. In chapter two, Jonah's running back to God. And let's go ahead and read his prayer of repentance, starting in verse one. It says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am dri- driven away from your sight, yet, shall, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. He's talking about seaweed. It's all wrapped around his head. I went to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Now here comes the central, this is probably, this, this verse is like almost right in the middle of your entire Bible, and it really is what the entire Bible is about. What does it say? Salvation belongs to the Lord. And then it says in verse 10, and the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So I want you to think about this. If you understand what's happening here, it models for us something that we read about and understand when we read the New Testament. Do you understand Jonah's salvation came by way of God's grace through faith by way of repentance? I have this in your notes, and it's so important for you to understand. Repentance is always the way back to God. It's always how you rebound from rebellion. It's always the way back into a right relationship with God. It's always the way back to the center of his will for your life. There is no other path that you can take. What I want to do with the rest of our time together is examine Jonah's prayer of repentance. And I think it's important because what we find 
what we find here is an understanding of not only what repentance is, but why it leads to salvation in the Lord. Now, before we dig into that, let me get something out of the way that often throws people for a loop when it comes to the story of Jonah, and that's the big fish part. How in the world? Some people say, well, how in the world could someone stay alive inside the belly of a fish for three days and three nights? Is that even possible? Is this story even real? Well, let me just say a few things. First of all, there are historical accounts of whalers in the 1800s that were swallowed by a whale and retrieved a day later and survived. And you, I'm not going to bore you with those stories, although they're, they're not really boring, but you can Google them. Who would ever think you'd say that one day in a church service? Just Google it. You can look at it, right? But is that even medically possible? And let me just say this. I don't think that's a question that we need to spend time worrying about. Why? Because God is a God of the miraculous. Do you understand? That's why the Bible is a book of the miraculous. A lot of people, what they want to do is they want to take all the miracles out of the Bible before they can take it seriously. Listen, that is a mistake. Because to do that is to take the God who is out of the Bible. To do that is to take the Jesus who was and is out of the Bible because God is a God of the miraculous. Now, with that in mind, there's one of three possibilities of what has happened to Jonah concerning the fish. One, there is an actual fish out there large enough where somebody can spend three days and three nights inside of and survive. Maybe it was a fish that has since gone extinct. Maybe it still survives today. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, we know more about the cosmos than we do about our oceans. And so maybe this fish still survives. But who really cares because it's God who appointed the fish, right? It wasn't like the fish swam up and go, oh, look at this. God said, fish, go. And the fish said, all right. And he swallowed up. Jonah. The other possibility is, regardless of what kind of fish it was, that God miraculously sustained Jonah's life in that fish. Listen, if he created, can create the world out of nothing, he can certainly keep a person alive in a great fish for three days and three nights. Because nothing is impossible for the Lord. Now, there's a third possibility, and it's this. That after praying in that fish, After he prayed his prayer of repentance, the other possibility is is that Jonah died in that fish and God resurrected him three days later. I lean towards that possibility. You say, why would you say that? Well, that would certainly match perfectly the prophecy that Jesus said concerning himself in Matthew chapter 12. Remember what Jesus said? Verse 40, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You understand that's a prophecy about the length of time that that he would spend in the tomb before his resurrection on Easter Sunday. And let me ask you this question. What was Jesus's body doing in that tomb? Are you ready? Nothing. Because he was dead for those three days and three nights. And so maybe that means that Jonah was dead in that fish as well before God too raised him from the dead. You would certainly maybe think that when you read the prayer. Look at some of the things that that Jonah says in the prayer. Jonah chapter 2 verse 2 says, out of the belly of Sheol I cried. Most of us are not familiar with that word Sheol. That's that's the word for the place of the dead in the Old Testament. And they would talk about the righteous would go to upper Sheol and the unrighteous would go to lower Sheol. Then when you go down in verse 6 there, it says, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. 
In the literature of Jonah's day, that's a phrase, talking about the bars that was used to describe death. And look what he says, yet you brought me up from, brought up my life from the pit, oh Lord my God, from the pit of death is the idea. Now, all that being said, did Jonah really die in the fish or was it just an experience that felt like death? We don't know for sure. But what we are sure of is that at some point in that fish, Jonah repented. And what we are sure of is God saved him from death. Whether that was impending death or he actually died, God saved him. What matters most is not so much what's going on inside the fish as what's going on inside the heart of Jonah, who is inside that fish. And so what you have here with this prayer, understand, is something that Jonah wrote down after the fact. It's beautiful Hebrew writing. So it's not like Jonah was in the fish and said, let me take out my paper and pen. This is, this is, a, this is a summation of the things he prayed. It's, it's what he prayed when he was in the fish. It's what God did in response to his prayer. And it's what he learned about the saving work of the Lord. And in the process, what we find is Jonah lays out for us what repentance really does look like. I think that that's why it's so important to study a text like this. This is one of the parts of the story that's probably the less exciting part of Jonah other than the fish swallowed him and the fish spit him out. But the stuff in between, we tend to kind of read really fast. But I I think a text like this is so important for us to study because when a lot of people think about repentance, they think of, I'm sorry, and that's it. But do you understand repentance is more than just an apology? It's a turning from your rebellion to God. It's more than I just stopped running from God. Repentance means you are now running towards God, towards his word, towards his commands, towards his will for your life. And we're going to see that as we work our way through this prayer of repentance. I want to just draw to your attention three simple observations that will help us understand repentance. Observation number one is this. Jonah called out to the Lord. This is where repentance begins. Jonah called out to the Lord. Look at it, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and what what did he do? He answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. You know, what's interesting about Jonah's story is it took Jonah a little while, but he finally gave up his running shoes and surrendered to God. Do you understand what God had to do to bring Jonah back? God had to bring Jonah to the end of himself. Did you know that God... Well, if you want to rebel, God's not afraid to let you run. God's like, all right, I'll let you go down to the boat, to the storm, to the sea, to the fish. I'll let you go. But eventually, you're going to get to the place where you get to the end of yourself. That's Jonah. I mean, he ran and ran until he figured out, I need the Lord or I'm not going to make it. You see, as long as Jonah had options, he wasn't going to surrender. When the Lord first told him to go to Nineveh, he had the option to get on the boat. You know what he saw the boat as? He saw the boat as his salvation, his way to work out life his way. 
When he was on the boat and the sailors woke him up about the storm, he had the option to remain silent, and that's what he did. Once again, trying to work out things his way. When the sailors cast the lot and it fell on him, Jonah had the option of being thrown into the sea. And that's exactly what he did, trying to work out life his way. And I think about that and I think, what a terrible choice. I mean, dude, the boat is still floating. Who would be thrown into a storm like that in the the ocean? I'll tell you who. People who are living in rebellion. They make stupid choices. I mean, isn't it true? People trying to run from God, trying to save themselves, trying to run from their loneliness and trying to run from their trouble, you name it, make terrible decision after terrible decision trying to do it their way. You see this in particular in the relationships, right? I mean, people just want to be loved so bad and, and they get involved in a bad relationship and they're like, oh, this was terrible. And you're like, well, let's do it God's way. And then they're with the next person that's even worse than that person. And you're going, what in the world are you thinking? Why would that be the choice? Well, that's what rebellious people do, right? The funny thing about someone who's in rebellion is everybody else recognizes how bad it is, but they don't. Because they still feel like they have options, right? I mean, Jonah, one bad decision after another, that's him. But now inside the fish. (laughs) Do you know how many options Jonah has left? One! Just one. And you know what that option is? It's God. This is where real repentance begins. It begins with surrender. Do you understand surrender isn't God? I'll think about it more. It isn't I'll ask God to help me do it my way. It's not I'll change a few things and hopefully that will be good enough. Surrender is God. You are my only option and I put myself in your hands to be my salvation. And when somebody does that, do you understand it gets God's attention? God says, hello. (laughs) Notice it says, Jonah called out, he surrendered, and the Lord answered. He cried out, and God heard his voice. Surrender always gets God's attention, and that shouldn't surprise you. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. It says, the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro over all the earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are fully devoted to him. You see that? Yes. That scripture verse tells us something very important. It's not like God is just up in heaven going, what am I going to do today? No, God is looking on the earth saying, who wants to fully surrender to me? Because I'm ready to work. I'm ready to move. In those whose hearts are totally surrendered to him. Isn't this what Jesus meant in the Beatitudes when he said this? He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You understand, that's not talking about money. That's talking about surrender. That's talking about humility. That's talking about God. I can't do this without you. I need your hope. We're talking about total surrender. And then you get to the next beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. And you understand that is not a reference to, well, just the people that are sad. We're talking about repentance there. That's a reference to repentance. You could literally read it. Blessed are those who repent for they shall be comforted. I love the way the message paraphrase version of the Bible puts verse 3, this first beatitude. Look at it with me. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. 
with less of you, there is more of God in his rule. Do you understand? That's Jonah. He's reached the end of his rope. No more options left. The only option he's got left is to let go of the rope and trust God. And that's what he does. And the Lord responds. The Lord becomes his salvation. You understand Jonah is the prodigal son come home. And what we learn from this prayer is something that we read throughout the Bible that is so important, I think, for us to understand, and it's this. No matter how far you've run away from God, if you will surrender him to him, he will take you back. I say that because I think there are some of you in this room today that you've run way far away from God and you think that God doesn't want to have anything to do with you and that God won't listen to you and God doesn't care about you anymore and God, I've done so many things that, that, that I'm ashamed of. Can I tell you, that keeps a lot of people from turning back to God. But if you're wondering if you've gone too far, you haven't. And if you're wondering if God is done with you, he's not. Because what Jonah's prayer teaches us is that no matter how far you've run away from God, God always leaves the door open for you to run back to him. And the way back to him, the door you go through, is called repentance. I want to show you this. Look what Jonah says in verse 4. It says, then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Otherwise, I've run so far from you. I'm so far from the center of your will that I can't even see you at this point. I mean, he's, he's blinded at this point that God's at work, right? Now watch this. Yet, I shall again look upon your holy temple. Now, a lot of us read right by that, but let me explain that to you. Why is Jonah talking about the temple? He's talking about the actual temple building in, in, in Israel. Why is he talking about that structure? Well, here's why he's talking about that. When King Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem, he prayed a prayer of dedication. And that prayer of dedication has been ingrained in the minds of the Jewish people ever since. And you say, well, what did, what did Solomon pray? Here was Solomon, the gist of his prayer. Solomon prayed this, Lord, when people pray towards this temple... No matter where they have been, no matter where they are, no matter what they've done, if they turn and look to you and they pray towards this temple, then God, I ask that you would hear from heaven. And when Solomon prayed that prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the sacrifice and the glory of the Lord filled that temple the day they dedicated. And it's as if God said, Solomon, you got it. Let me show you Solomon's prayer. I want you to see this. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 30. And listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. You see that? And listen in heaven, your dwelling place. And when you hear, what is Solomon asking? Forgive. Forgive. Whatever prayer, whatever plea, whatever, right, is made by any man or by any by all your people Israel, each knowing the affliction of his own heart and stretching out his hands toward this place. Then here in heaven, your dwelling place, and forgive and act and render to each whose heart you know according to all his ways. So here is Jonah in the belly of fish, turning his attention 
back to the temple towards God, calling out to the Lord in surrender, and God answered him. And can I just say that, that God still answers that prayer to this day. God will do for you what he did for Jonah because that's the promise that he made to Solomon when Solomon prayed that prayer, when that temple was dedicated. We see this said in a different way in the New Testament. Romans chapter 10, verse 13, for everyone, everybody say everyone. Everyone. Who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. First thing that Jonah did is he called out to the Lord and the Lord answered. This is where repentance starts. It it comes with calling out to the Lord in surrender. There's a second observation I want to draw out of Jonah's prayer of repentance and it's this. Jonah gave up his idols. This This is such an important part of repentance. You know, a lot of people want God in their life, but they want God on their own terms. What they want is they want God to come along and, well, God, I want you to bless my rebellion. Or they, they, they want to live according to their own word and not God's word. Can I just tell you something? That is not repentance. Repentance is not adding God to your rebellion. It's returning to the word of God. And for that to happen, we have to lay down our idols. Look what Jonah says in Jonah chapter 2, verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols. Otherwise, you think your idol's going to get you somewhere? It's just vain, vain. You're too vain. You probably thought this sermon was about you. (laughs) This is why I don't lead worship, right? (laughs) Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Do you know what an idol is? Anything that you put before God in your life. Let me, let me give you a better definition. Anything that causes you not to obey the word of God is an idol. Hey, you, you understand, you don't have to have little statues of gold or silver in your house that you set on your coffee table that you're doing this to. Do you know what Jonah's idol was? It was himself. And if we were honest, that's a lot of our idols too. Jonah, Jonah's idol was himself. He wants to do what he wants to do. He wants to determine who God should and shouldn't extend grace to. Remember how this all started? Jonah didn't like the word of the Lord that he had spoken to him. It was spoken to him. He didn't want to go do what God was telling him to do. And so he ran from the word of God. Now, Jonah, inside the belly of the fish, he's got to the end of his rope. You understand, Jonah is now all about the word of God all of a sudden. This entire prayer, I'm not going to take the time to break this down for you, but you'll get when I say this. All eight verses is scriptures from other Old Testament passages. In, this, in, this, in these eight verses of prayer, you have nine quotations from the Psalms of David, one from Lamentations, and one more from the book of Job, which would have been known scriptures at this time in Jonah's day. Think about it. What a change for a man who was running from the word of God. Now he's all about it. Why? Because repentance is a return to the word of God in your life. Here's why that's so important. When we hold into our idols, hold on to our idols, it keeps us from the very from the very best that God has for us. Do you understand that? God's got plans for you. God's got good things that he wants to give you in your life, but when you hold on to your idols, 
it keeps you away from the things that God wants to do, the very best things that God wants to do, the very amazing opportunities that God wants to give you, that he has planned for your life. Listen, don't, don't make the mistake. You can miss what God wants for your life. Look what, look what Jonah says here. Those who, repay, who pay regard to vain idols, watch this, forsake their hope of steadfast love. Now, that's not talking about that God doesn't love you if you're running. Oh, God, God loves Jonah so much that he's running after him. Amen. God always loves you, even in your rebellion. How many are thankful for that? What we're talking about there is the grace of God, the, 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 the blessing of God, the favor of God in your life. The New Living Translation puts it this way. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. The NIV says it this way. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. It isn't that God doesn't love you, but you turn away from the love that he's trying to give you. Isn't this what Jesus said in John 15? If you keep my commandments, talking about God's word, right? You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments, and abide in his love. Not only did Jonah call off to God, but Jonah gave up his idols, and it returned him to the place of God's steadfast love. It returned him to the very place where God wanted him and God's plan and destiny and purpose for his life. Do you understand the very best God had for him wasn't going to be found in Tarshish, but in Nineveh? And that's another sermon in itself. There's someone, we're just so sure it's in Tarshish. Sometimes God's very best for you will be found in some really surprising places. Like who would you think that you would find it in Nineveh? But this is where the steadfast love for Jonah is going to be found. That's why it's so important for you to trust the Lord in your life. Because there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end leads to death. There's one more observation I want you to notice. So think about it. What have we seen in Jonah's repentance? He called out to the Lord. He gave up his idols. And the last thing that we see is Jonah laid down his life. Look at verse 9. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, watch this, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. You say, what is Jonah saying? He's saying, God, otherwise, God, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to be, however you want me to live my life, I will strive to do so even if it's hard and I have to sacrifice to do so. Jonah says, I'm willing to make the sacrifice. No matter how I feel about it, no matter what it costs me, it's better to obey than to run because that's what I've learned in my rebellion. See, at its core, repentance is a commitment to lordship. It's a commitment to put the Lord on the throne in your life. That's why Jonah chapter 3 In Jonah chapter 3, that's why you find Jonah in, of all places, Nineveh, preaching just as God had asked him to preach because that's where God wanted him. By the way, do you know how you can tell if you really repented or not? How do you know it's just not a, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, God, my bad, you caught me. How do you know if you've really repented? Here's how you know. You stopped running from the word of God and now you're running towards the word of God. 
that's how you can tell. Why? Because that's repentance. Repentance is running in one direction and it's a 180 degree turn in the other direction. Before I was running to my, towards my rebellion, now I'm running towards the word of God. That's how you can tell. And that's Jonah. And what repentance does is it brings Jonah back to a place of restoration of relationship with God. Now, does that mean that Jonah is perfect from this point forward? Nope. Jonah is still very, a very flawed person, a very flawed prophet. How many know there's no perfect, no perfect with Jesus and God himself? Amen? Amen. You're going to find out that Jonah still has issues in his life that God needs to work on, as we're going to see that in chapters 3 and in chapters 4. But at least now that can happen from a place of restored relationship than rebellion. And there is a difference. And that's a way better place to be. Amen? Amen. So think about this. Jonah called out to the Lord. He gave up his idols. And he laid down his life. And what that is, is that's what repentance is. And what was the result? He found out. End of verse 9. What does it say? Salvation belongs to the Lord. That's his testimony. This is after the fact. And Jonah's like, let me tell you what I've been through. The seaweed was around my head. It was awful, but I called out and I repented. And the Lord is my salvation. And then it says, verse 10, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. I mean, at this point in the story, even the fish is sick of Jonah, right? (laughs) But how many are thankful God wasn't sick of Jonah? In fact, I think there's a picture in there. Think about the visual of that. I mean, God didn't like, it's not like the fish went up on the shore, opened its mouth, and God had a towel there sitting on the, he vomited. Sometimes the process of getting right with God is messy, amen? amen? But it's for your good. And it's the love of God at work. Because I think the Lord allows us to go through mess because it leaves a scar in our life that we look at and we go, I'm not doing that again. (laughs) The great fish was the kindness of God that led him to repentance. And repentance led him back to the steadfast love of God what we learn is salvation indeed belongs to the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me as we close? If you're here this morning and, and you, listen, you, some of you, you're a Christian and you're running from things in your life and you think, well, if I just go to church, that'll be good enough. And, and God's got your number. And you came last week and God was knocking on your heart and saying, listen, what are you telling me no in? And what is God challenging you in? Because listen, anytime you say no to God is to move in the opposite direction of his will for your life. Do you understand? Everything in Jonah's life was yes, 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 except for Nineveh. And it caused him to be running in the opposite direction. 
So I don't know what the Lord is dealing with you in your life today, but is there any area in your life that you need to surrender to God in? Listen, it isn't because God is mad at you. It's just God has a plan for you. God has a destiny for you. God wants you to be right smack in the middle of his steadfast love for your life. And the only way to be there, if you are on the run, is to take the road of repentance because repentance is always the way back the perfect will and right relationship with God. So if that's you this morning, would you just confess it to the Lord? Say, Lord, you've got my attention this morning. I've heard your voice. I've been running from your word. I've been trying to be my own salvation. But this morning, God, I'm at the end of my rope and I'm going to let go and I'm going to trust you and I'm going to return to your word. I'm going to return in the direction of your One more group of people I want to talk to before we leave. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not right with the Lord. You've never put your faith in God for your, for your eternal salvation. Salvation is found in the way the word of the Lord says it's found. And it's not found through your good works. It's found through faith in God's son, Jesus Christ, who came and died for your sin to pay the price with his innocent blood so that you could be forgiven and have right relationship with God for all of eternity. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. Salvation is a gift from God. It's like Jonah in the whale. There's nothing he could do to get out of that whale on his own strength. He had to totally put his faith in God's grace, and that's what he did. And he found out that salvation is in the Lord. So if you're here this morning, you have never had a relationship with God. I want to invite you to do that. I want to pray with you. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward, but I do want to say a prayer with you. And if you're here this morning, you have never put your faith in Jesus to be the Lord of your life. You have never found salvation through Jesus. Listen, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's because he had the only thing that could pay for your sins before a holy God, and that was his innocent shed blood. And he went to that cross and died for you to make that possible. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here, say, I need Jesus in my life. I want to put my faith in Jesus. I feel God tugging on my heart. Would you just slip up your hand wherever you are just for a moment? I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. His hand's going up all over this place this morning. I want to lead you in a prayer right where you are. And Christians, if you've already given your heart to the Lord, would you do us the honor of praying with us together? Dear God, I come to you today. And I thank you that you love me so much. That you would send your son Jesus to track me down because of your great love for me. I confess that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me for my sins. And Jesus, today, I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to come into my heart and be the Lord of my life from this day forward. Help me to serve you with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, and all my strength. That I too may declare to the world that salvation belongs to the Lord. Father, we just thank you, Lord. We give you praise this morning, Lord. 
Lord, we give you the honor, Lord. We're thankful for your son, Jesus, Lord. And Lord, I pray as we leave this place that we would remember that, that repentance always leads to the steadfast place of, of the best that you have, your steadfast love. Lord, may we never forget that. And Lord, when we're tempted to run, Lord, I pray that we would remember Jonah. If we are running, I pray that we would remember Jonah. If we're in dire straits and we feel like we're in the belly of the whale, I pray that we would remember Jonah chapter 2, that if we will look towards you and call on you, that you will respond, Father. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for those that gave their heart to you this morning. In the name of Jesus, we all said together, amen. Amen. I'm going to ask our prayer partners that they'd come. If you have prayer, need prayer for any area in your life, we will have our prayer partners up here ready to pray over what need it may be in your life. If you gave your heart to Jesus for the very first time, listen, we would love for you to come up. Just pray with us. We want to encourage you in your faith walk. We're here to help you grow. We want to pray over you. God bless you. Listen, next week, Jonah chapter three, Jonah's going to be in Nineveh. You don't want to miss it. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next time. Oh uh-huh.